0: worshiping with us online. I'm glad to see you. I'm like karma. I looked around. I saw people here today. Have you noticed? There are some people in the room. You know, it's, it's, no, it's still not back to where it was, but it's better than it has been. How about that? And, and whoever we've got, we've got quality, right? Look at the person next to you and say, you are quality. Go ahead and tell them that right now. Yeah. And so the weather is a little cooler. Have you noticed all of our friends from the north brought it with them down here? And and now we've got that cold gust, and, and Laura and I slipped off and went up to Birmingham to see our family up there. We, uh, we went to Pensacola Thursday for doctor's appointments, and we saw our daughter Catherine there and had lunch with her. And then we left and went on to Pensacola, and we saw our daughter Elizabeth and her family Rob and Collins up there and got to see our five-year-old granddaughter in her cheerleading outfit cheer at her cousin's basketball game at 11 o'clock on Saturday, as God intended. It was wonderful. And that's the first time we've seen that, and she had plenty of energy. Let me just say, as a five year old she had it, she was moving, she had all the moves down, she was, and some more that she added, I think because she stays she stays in motion and So we're riding back from Birmingham yesterday, and Laura's looking at Facebook, and she starts laughing out loud. And, you know, I've told you that Laura, my wife, is from the mountains of Tennessee, right? And so um, I've always teased her about being a hillbilly, and she always says, I prefer the term mountaineer, okay? And so she's reading along on Facebook, and somebody from the mountain, this really happened, I'm not making this up, said that they were so excited it was cold outside, and they had made some Himalayan rabbit stew think about it for a minute, Himalayan rabbit stew. Have you ever had that? He said, I found Himalayan in the road, and I took him home and made stew. Himalayan. And really, who among us has not had road roadkill, really? You know what I'm saying? I'm telling you, it's the mountain, okay? That's That's just life on the mountain. Now, Well, I want to talk about this starting point. We're in the fourth message and we've been talking about starting point. What is starting point? Starting point is talking about our faith. Now, many of us here today became Christians when we were children and we learned about God and we learned all that God uh, meant to us. Our parents taught us about God. They, they taught us how to pray to God. They taught us how to believe in God. They taught us how to say uh, the prayer before we ate with God. They taught us how to say our prayers at night before we went to sleep. Jesus loved the little children, all the children of the world, all that stuff we learned as kids, right? And we grew up with a faith. But then maybe... Maybe as you became an adult, something changed. Maybe as you became an adult, there began to be a gap between what you were taught as a child and what you have experienced as an adult. If Jesus loves all the little children, then what about these children? <clears throat> they seem to be left out to me. They don't look like they're very much loved. What about them? And so they're, they're, it's just a struggle. And it's not that you just say, oh, no, I'm not going to do that anymore, but, but you, it begins to chisel away at your faith. Now, some of us said, you know what, I'm just going to believe in God anyway, and we're going to move on, and that's the way it is. But, but some said... I want to believe in God, but I'm just struggling. And then somebody comes along, and now that you're an adult and you're kind of disillusioned, and they say, well, how about coming to church? And you feel the heartstrings kind of warmed, and you feel a tug to do that, and you want to do that, but but then you still have the struggle. So let me ask you this. What would happen if you could restart your faith? as an adult. I mean, it happened for you as a child, but, but you just need to jumpstart it again. You need to restart it because it's different becoming a Christian as a child than it is becoming a Christian as an adult. And so what would it take for you? What would the starting point be? And I want to talk about faith and religion and the role of rules in relationship to God. Because everybody, you know, a lot of times folks look at God and they look at the Bible and they think, well, it's just a bunch of rules and how am I ever going to follow them and I can't keep up anyway and I'm not perfect and I'm just going to mess up and then I'm going to be defeated and it's just going to be sad and I don't know what to do. So what about rules and relationship? What about rules and God? What's that all about? And I want to talk about this premise because I want you to realize that rules Always assume some kind of relationship. See, you don't have to have any rules if you don't have a relationship. When Laura and I first got married, she said, come into the kitchen and help me. And I said, yes, dear. And I went into the kitchen and she said, do this and do that. And then she showed me where things go. And she said, now this, when you get through with this and it's ready, put it away right here. And I said, okay. And the next week I was in the kitchen helping again as she wanted me to. And she said, no, that doesn't go there. And I said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I was paying attention last week when you told me to put it there. And she said, yeah, but I changed that. <laughs> and I said, okay. And so I had a hard time learning. And so finally, at one point, it came to the point where she said, don't help me in the kitchen anymore. Just go back. Just go back and sit down in the Lazy Boy, which is where I intended to be in the first place, right? Right. Now, I do, I do things in the kitchen. I really do. I help Laura. I don't do a lot of things, and I certainly don't do them well, but I'm on top of some I'm the garbage guy. I get that garbage, buddy. I'm all over it. I'm on top of it. I can make that happen. I, I, can, I, can, I can even load the dishwasher and unload it now. I mean, you would have thought maybe he can unload the thing. He may not know where it goes, but he can, but I can load it too. I know how to rinse it off before. I know how to wash it before I wash it. I do. I've learned stuff. I, I've learned that um, I, I, can, I, can, I can make the salad. <laughs> uh-huh. That's supposed to be like, wow. I, all I do is I go to Publix and I get this pre-made salad and I just pull it out and I, I throw it down on the plate and I put some ranch dressing on there. Salad, voila, there, salad, good. There's no cooking involved. It's great. And I do, I make the salads a lot of times because we eat a lot of salad and we'll have that right before dinner. Now, the point is, you gotta if you're going to have a relationship, you got to have rules. There are three kinds of situations where you would have models to go by. I'm going to give you these three models today, okay? With rules and relationship with God, there's the family model. That's number one. There's the club model. That's number two. And then three, there's the neighborhood association model. OK, now don't be getting ahead of me, OK, because we're going to talk about this. The family model is you were born into a family and your parents gave you rules. Right. And you follow the rules. And if you didn't follow the rules, you got into trouble. And if you did, you know, you had privileges, all that. OK, now it's an interesting thing that you as a parent are only allowed to have rules for your children. Some people have not learned this lesson. Okay. You know, other people have kids and they're responsible for their children. You're not responsible for their children. You're responsible for yours. But how many of you, if you were honest, how many of you are here today who would like to set some rules for some of your neighbor's kids right now? You'd like, in fact, in fact, you've hinted on Facebook, you know, you've mentioned to them in passing next door. I don't know that you need to let them play in the street. There are things that you're trying to get them to learn that you'd maybe like to enforce for their children, right? And and so there's just this desire to do that. But really, we're supposed to color inside the lines, right? And then the second model is the club model. In the club model, you join a club, right? You have a contract, you sign the contract, you have rules, you follow the rules, right? And if you don't follow the rules, you get in trouble. And if you keep messing up with the rules, they might throw you out of the club, you know? If you, if you break the rules enough, you're out. And in this model, there are rules, but the rules, again, are for the relationship. And so you've got all these different ways that you experience rules in life. And how does that that apply to rules in God? In other words, okay, I've got these two that I've mentioned, the family, I've got the club, but but is it the same way with God? Is that the way rules work with him? And then the third one, just for fun, the third category is the neighborhood association model. And in this model, you just really never know where you stand, right? You you know, you, you buy a house, And as long as you follow the rules in the neighborhood, everything's fine. But then if you stop paying attention to the rules, you get in trouble. And and you start to get nasty notes in your mailbox. Would anybody like to confess today they've gotten nasty notes in their mailbox? And and what did you do with them? You you just left them in the mailbox. That's what you did, maybe. I don't know. And and so here's what happens. You get a note in your mailbox, and it says this. If you don't get the above-ground pool out of your front yard, Then we're going to take some trampoline wire and tie you up with it and leave you there, okay? And in the neighborhood association model, if you behave, you're in, and if you don't, you can be out. Now, they really don't kick you out, but they make life so miserable that you wish they would kick you out because your neighbors aren't speaking to you and they give you grief and you're just in a situation where it's uncomfortable and whatever the rules are, you know, you're going to have a relationship, you're going to have rules in all kinds of situations in life. And so a lot of times what happens is we take the rules that we have in these different organizations that we're involved in and we apply those to God. We think God thinks like the world thinks, but God doesn't think like the world thinks. God thinks differently. He says, you're not going to think of this my way. You're going to think of it your way. You, you've got to get my mind. You, I, you've got to hear from me. You've got to... It's what Carmen was talking about. You know, work out your salvation. We, we've got to grow in such a way that we get closer to God. We know who God is. We know that relationship with him. And then we, we have a, the power of the Spirit to help us follow the principles that he gives us to live by. In other words, the rules that we see in his word because they have their their principles to live by. So it's about the relationship and the rules are just evidence of the relationship. And so what do you do in life? You're trying to apply this all to your faith and you're going, well, I'm a human being. Does that mean I'm just in automatically? And, And what about this? If I'm saved by grace, then what if I'm choked? God's still gonna love me. How does that work? Because it's not that way in the world. That's an interesting thing. Sometimes people will begin to look at this from a theological perspective and some will look at this from an emotional perspective. Is there a God? Is there a personal God? How does this really all work? And if you embrace Christianity, you're gonna wrestle with this at some point in your life. How am I supposed to know what I'm supposed to do and how to do it? So to help us, I wanna go back to one of the oldest laws ever given us and it's given to us, by Moses through God. God gives it to Moses through him. And then it is in uh, the Ten Commandments. You're familiar with the Ten Commandments? How many of you know where the Ten Commandments are in the Bible? See, you can't say, I said are in the Bible. Some people will say they're in the Bible there. See? and I, But you can't just say the Old Testament either, okay? So if you don't know, I'm going to tell you today. Aren't you glad? Okay, the Ten Commandments are in Exodus 20. So there are 10 commandments, and they're in Exodus 20. Okay, so you remember that, right? And so what we remember about that is, before we look at them, I want to review with you. We talked about Abraham and how God promised Abraham he would make a great nation from his family. He would have descendants, as many as the stars. You couldn't count them. They were going to come, but the only problem was that he and his wife Sarah didn't have any kids. And Sarah came to him and said, we're getting older now. And even though God said he's going to give us kids, we don't have any kids. And it doesn't look like we're going to have any kids. And so they kind of push the panic button. And they say, well, why don't we go ahead and have kids? And my handmaiden, Hagar, you can um, go in and with her and you can, we can have kids that way. So see what you can do. And so Abraham says, okay. And that's what they do. And then Hagar has Ishmael, right? But then later, Sarah gets pregnant, and they have a son named Isaac, and Isaac has a son named Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons. And from those 12 sons, we get the 12 tribes of Israel. You with me still? You with me? I'm trying to do a quick overview here. Okay. And one of those sons was named Joseph and his brothers couldn't stand him because he was his father's favorite. He had a different mother than they did. He was the baby at that time. And so he gave him a coat of many colors. It was like he got a special, you know, name brand coat. They didn't get it. And so let's just get rid of him. So they put him in a pit. They're going to kill him. And then they talk each other out of that. And then they sell him. and he's taken off and he becomes a slave in Egypt, but God has a plan for him and he becomes the prime minister of Egypt, essentially, okay? And then there was a famine in the land. Now at this point, Joseph is under the Pharaoh. He's the second most important person in in Egypt, okay? He's got all this power and he's worked ahead. God has revealed it to him. And so he's got all this food during these seven years of famine that he prepared in advance. So he sends an email to his family. Was it an email or a text? (laughs) I'll have to check the text to see. Ha ha. And so they, they say, hey, we got food here. Everybody come to Egypt, right? And so that's what they do. So all these people come to Egypt and it's the, it's the descendants, it's the family, it's the nation of God. And now what's happened is that Joseph's gone, uh, but Moses is there. And, and so Abraham's grandchildren, great-grandchildren, all of them are there and they become a nation in Egypt. But the Israelites are multiplying like rabbits, Okay. And so the Egyptians are looking around and they're going, there's more Israelites than there are Egyptians. If we're not careful, they're going to take over the place. And so they put them and they enslave them. They enslave the Israelites and that's what they do to them. And they're for 400 years, they're enslaved. That's a long time, but that's what's going on with them, okay? And they're a nation But they're a slave nation. God has done what he said he was going to do, but it wasn't exactly the way they thought it was going to happen. And then out of the blue one day, this guy shows up named Moses. And Moses goes to Pharaoh, and he says, let's all say it together. Let my people go. That's right. That's what you say every Sunday when I preach. Let my people go. (laughs) Enough. Already I'm getting hungry. My stomach is growling. How long are you going to take? Moving on. Okay. Okay. And Pharaoh says, no, I'm not going to let them go. And he says, okay, well, watch this then. And what happens? They, they have all these plagues and all these, these disasters that come about them. The locust and boils and ticks, oh my, right? And, and they have lice and frogs and water pollution. It's just one thing after another. and it just keep, But Pharaoh's heart is hardened and he won't let them go. And Moses says, let my people go. And eventually he gets to take them and he, and he takes them away. And when he does, about three weeks later, they show up at Mount Sinai and, God, and Moses goes up on the mountain to see God. And there he gets the Ten Commandments. But remember, all these people know is slavery. They've been slaves for 400 years. They're a slave nation. And so now they don't know freedom. And, and when that, those laws come down, the Ten Commandments, which are now in Exodus, <coughs> excellent. So now you read this and here's what it says in Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now, what he's saying is, I want you to remember who I am. And I want you to remember what I've done. And when you were in a place where there wasn't a way, I made a way. And I sent somebody to deliver you. And I provided a way to get you out of slavery and out of bondage. And even though you couldn't do anything for me, I did it for you because that's who I am. And here's what I want you to know. You're mine, and I'm yours, and we're in a relationship together, and we're going to continue to grow closer together in that relationship, and God, through the Moses, through the prophet Moses, speaks to the Jewish people, and he says, now, there's one thing that I want you to do. I want you to do this, and here's what I want you to do. Remember what I just did for you. I want you to trust me. I want you to trust me. Now, let me ask you this. Has God ever done anything in your life? Has he ever worked in your life in such a way that he made a way when there was no way? Has he ever delivered you when you could not possibly make a way? You could not possibly get out of the situation. You didn't see any light at the end of the tunnel. You were ready to give up. And God, in the 11th hour maybe, he came along and he made a way where there was no way. And what did he say? Trust me. Remember when I did this? Trust me. Remember when I did this? Trust me. And that's what our life is all about. You remember what was happening? But you remember what I did? And our faith just gets stronger and stronger and stronger because we trust. God said it to them. He says it to us today. I want you to trust me. And the people say, Okay, we'll trust you. And you remember what happened as they were leaving Egypt. He says, you know, the death angel's coming. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to put, I want you to take a lamb. I want you to slaughter it. I want you to take the blood. You're going to have a meal tonight. I want you to take the blood, put it on the sides of the door, over the door. And then when the death angel comes, he'll pass by you. We're going to celebrate Passover, right? And, and he'll pass by you. Now, the Egyptian children will be killed, but the Israelite children won't be killed. And so they did it. And they said, well, why do you want us to do? God said, trust me. Do you ever ask God why? Do you ever say, okay, Lord, I, I hear what you're saying, but why? You ever do that? I'm the only one, huh? Hmm. Well maybe I should sit down and listen to you then. Huh? How about that? But but that, you know, sometimes we want to know the details. I'm a curious person. I ask questions, right? I want and God says, just trust me. And so they did. And then they said this, after you do that, after you have the meal, after you put the blood over the door, all that stuff, then I want you to go home and pack because we're leaving in the morning. They went, wait a minute. Wait just a minute. How long have we been here? 400 years. We've been here 400 years and we're leaving in the morning. Could I have a little more time to get? I mean, they didn't have a lot of stuff. So they're slaves, right? So they're ready. And that night the death angel comes and sure enough, they're delivered from that place. And Pharaoh gets up and he says, okay, enough already. Take what you own, take what we own. We don't care, just get out of here and leave. And from that moment on, the Jewish people would celebrate Passover. But you remember what God said, he whispered in their ear, trust me. And he says, trust me to you and me. And three weeks later at Mount Sinai, they begin to understand the rules that God has. Now, there's a relationship already there. He's just saying we already have a relationship, but there's some principles I want you to live by, and I'm going to give you these rules, and you can follow along with them. I'm the Lord your God, and one of the first things he says to them in the first commandment in Exodus 20 verse 3, he says, you shall have no other gods before me. God's a jealous God. He doesn't want anybody or anything worshiped above him. Anything we spend time thinking about doing, practicing, being a part of, he says, you know, you got to put me number one. He says, I want you to put me in charge. Now, if you've been a slave and your nation has been in slavery for 400 years and God comes along and he delivers you and he he makes the Egyptian economy just tank and he takes care of the Egyptian army and and he holds the water back for you to walk across on dry land and you get to the, other side and you're going to the promised land. And he says, I I want you to have no other gods before me. What are you going to say? Okay, sure. I trusted you. Look what you did. Yeah, fine. No problem. And they had no heartburn with doing that. They said, okay, we'll do that. That's, that's an easy thing. What else after that? But what he's saying is, is the 10 commandments are a confirmation, not a condition of our relationship. You see the difference? It's not like God says, here are all the rules, you follow the rules, then we can have a relationship because we can't follow the rules, we'll choke, right? He says, no, here's the relationship and then here's the guidelines to live in that relationship. And I'm going to empower you through the Spirit. I'm going to work in your life in such a way that I'm going to help you. And even when you mess up, I'm going to help you again. But but you got to work out your salvation. You got to live. You got to you got to do your part. Even though it's saved by grace, there's a part of response that you can do. And so He's making it clear that that's what we need to do. And and I just want to reiterate that the rules are a confirmation, not a condition of a relationship with God. He gives them rules because they have a relationship together. Now, here's what I want you to know. Remember the promise of Abraham that we talked about last week in Genesis 18, 18? It says, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations on earth will be blessed through him. Now, leave that up there just a minute. I want you to see that. This is not just for the Jewish people. This is not just for the Israelites. This isn't just something that God did for Abraham and the people of God, the chosen Jewish people. He says, I want to do, I want to bless the whole earth through him. Through that obedience, I want you and me, all the Gentiles, everybody has an opportunity to have that relationship with God. Later the prophet Isaiah would say to the nation of Israel, I want to make you a great nation but not just you, the Gentiles as well. Abraham, this is about the whole world. And, that's what it, and then years later, Jesus comes along and he walks on the earth. And here's what happens. He says this, he turns nature upside down before he requires anything. And what happens is he starts healing people who are sick and he starts bringing them back to life when they die. And he stops storms and he speaks to the wind and he does things that no human being could possibly do unless they were God. He does things that are miraculous. And and those closest to him, those who, who know him and trust him and love him, they're often scared to death by him because of what he does and what he's able to do. It's amazing to them. They're terrified at his power, at his power. And then he says this, trust me. It's the universal message since the beginning. Trust me, trust me, trust me. Trust me, when things are at their darkest, when they're at their bleakest, when there's no way, I'm telling you, I got a way. Trust me. Because the promise that was fulfilled for Abraham was not just for Abraham, it was for all of us. And then it says this, in uh, Jesus is, in, in John 1, 12, it says, John says this, and talking about looking back on his time with Jesus. He says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, and that's for you and me. That's our word today. Jesus came along and he says, trust me, believe in me. Let's have a relationship together. And through that relationship, we can have principles to live by. We can have rules and guidelines to follow. And when we mess up, we'll go back to them again, but we will take an active role in trying to be the people God has called us to be. Yes, we're saved by grace, but we have a role to play in the process of being obedient, obedient to God. And we're gonna have to come back time and time again, and we're gonna mess up and we're gonna make mistakes. But isn't that a lot better than just a bunch of rules that you got to follow? Rules that you don't even know why, you just have to follow? No, it's about a relationship with God, and it's a God who keeps his promises. It's a God that we can trust. It's a God who's given his son for us. He's worthy of our trust. We can believe in him. Now, i got a question for you. This is your homework. We're going to wrap it up. Good? Yay! Everybody's real excited now. We're going to be through, okay? Here it is. I want you to ask yourself, when I was growing up, which one of these models did I have in my life? Which one did I follow in my faith? Did I have the family model where I was in a family, my parents told me what to do, and I followed the rules, and you know, there was some grace involved there with them, and, and sometimes there was accountability, and sometimes there were uh, results that, that came about because I didn't do what I was supposed to do. Or was it the club model that was a, a little, not as personal maybe, and it, it had some rules and I had to follow and then it's just kinda, you know, I was always worried that I was gonna break the rules and mess up. Or is it the neighborhood association model where you're gonna get a lot of dirty notes and you're gonna get in trouble all the time. I want you to think about that seriously. I want you to think about that this week and think about what's, where is my faith? Theologically, you know, sincerely, where do I live in that? How do I really see God? How do I see our relationship? And and can I see past the rules to a God who loves me and he wants to bless me? And we'll pick it up there next week. Let's pray. Father, please open our eyes to whatever it is you want us to see, regardless of how we felt growing up. We want to get this right. And we want to worship you as you are, not how we imagine you to be. Father, we just ask you to give us the wisdom to understand what it is you want us to know and then give us the courage necessary to do it so that we might be obedient to you, faithful, and that we might be yours. And all God's children said, amen.